I'm Marlene, and I'll be hosting this podcast called Morpeth Moments. It will feature stories about murder, unfortunate tragedies, and other events of interest, all involving people that were in some way connected with the village of Morpeth. These moments occurred in the 19th and early 20th centuries. The stories will also cover an area of 200 miles, about 320 kilometres, radiating from the centre of Morpeth, New South Wales, as convicts, soldiers and settlers made this area their home, stayed for a while to discover their niche or moved on to seek their fortune. I will tell my stories with great respect for the victims and their families. I would also like to occasionally add in episodes about quirky, weird and wonderful stories as well. Please feel free to email me. My address is on my podcast page. As I progress, I have to fine-tune my recording and editing skills, so please bear with me. Founding of Morpeth The settlement called Morpeth was founded in the 1820s by Lieutenant Edward Charles Close, a veteran of the 48th Regiment of Foot Soldiers in the Peninsular War in 1807 to 1814. In 1821 he decided to sell his commission and was promised 1,200 acres of land reserved for his use at a place known to the traditional owners, the Wanawarua people, as Illiloang, and to the Europeans as the Green Hills. It was situated 29 miles upriver from Newcastle. The area had first been seen by Europeans in June 1801, during the expedition of the Lady Nelson, headed by Lieutenant Colonel Patterson. This was at the head of navigation for ocean-going vessels proceeding upriver from Newcastle. Although vessels of lighter draft could navigate as far as Wallace Plains, also called Molly Morgans, then Maitland, the distance by land to it was much shorter than by water. Settlers and travellers found it more appropriate to land at the landing place at Illiluang and then travel by road to Maitland. The reservation of land at the Green Hills, however, had no basis in law. The land could not be granted to Lieutenant Close as it was illegal for serving officers to be granted crown land. This was overcome by Close's new appointment, allowing the grant to be made on the 2nd of November 1822. Sir Thomas Brisbane, Macquarie's successor, added to the grant and Close himself subsequently added to his holdings by purchase, enabling him to control much of the flood-free land on the southern side of the Hunter River. Close then enjoyed a unique advantage at a time when the Hunter Valley was being open to free settlement. Resigning his position as engineer at Newcastle, he and his wife devoted themselves to improving the Illiloang estate. William Tyrrell, first Bishop of Newcastle, later described their struggle. Those who know the place only as it is now have little idea of the labour involved in bringing a piece of forest land into cultivation.
and developing it for the purpose of trade. Mr. Close found this area a dense bush, covered with scrub and ancient trees, whose arched branches almost had hidden the river, and whose leafy boughs were so impermeable to light that to walk beneath them, even in broad daylight, was like walking in the dimness of twilight. This dense forest and bushland Mr. Close set to work to clear, with all the obstacles and barriers that were to be overcome in relation to the then lawless condition of an ignorant and criminal population, and the result of his labours now is before us in fertile meads and peaceful habitations. In the absence of a proper road between Newcastle and Wallace Plains, the river remained the main artery of communication, along with coastal vessels travelled to and from Sydney and other ports. Immigrants and travellers making their way from Sydney to the interior made use of the landing place at Morpeth, at which Queen's Wharf was later built, then walked or were conveyed along the track to Wallace Plains. All were technically guilty of trespass, for the land was of course controlled by close. Hoods, together with carts and carriages, bound for Wallace Plains, later to be called West Maitland, and for settlements and stations, further inland to load and unload their produce were also landed here. These activities stimulated commercial enterprise, for in 1832 licenses were issued for the establishment nearby of two inns, John Hillier's Illiloang Hotel and James Cracknell's The Wheatchiff Inn. Hillier's removal from the ship in Newcastle illustrated the rising importance of the Green Hills. This was further demonstrated when the government, from 1833, used convict labour to build a road from Morpeth to East Maitland. The outlying settlements of the district to the west and northwest, together with the development of the wheat, wool, tallow and tanning industries, further stimulated the port, to the extent that it gradually became a principal outport of the colony. That was a short introduction to Morpeth. Please join me again for my first episode of Morton and Tricklebank. Thank you for listening to Morpeth Moments. Hope you return to hear about the stories involving the people and places of Morpeth and its surrounding districts. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>